Steve, happy Monday. How was the weekend, man? Uh, it was great. Great weekend. I've uh, decided to go all Hank Hill on my yard for the year. So I've been <laughs> like, <laughs> I was out there for an inordinate amount of time, just like getting things really dialed in, you know? I'm always like, uh, my yard's like a, a B plus, right? But it's never like meticulous, immaculate. So, yeah. I'm sure, the, uh, I'm sure the neighbors are happy. Most of the yards in your in your neighborhood are pretty nice. Yeah, there's a little bit of that Drop like uh, Pleasantville feel going on up here. Everything's like, you know, stupid. The homeowner associations, everybody's like too afraid to have one one dead weed in their yard or something. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so you're finally yeah. getting on board. Finally getting on board. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. I love the Hank Hill reference. I completely forgot about that show. Just oh. makes me makes me happy. Damn it, Bobby! <laughs> oh, cool, man. Yeah, it was a uh, it's good weekend here. Good weather. Um, yeah, also did more yard work. Got outside and shot again. So that was a little bit of fun, dude. I am just anxious though. I'm anxious to put this thing behind us and like move towards some, yeah, some like true freedom and adventure <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's um everything's looking good obviously if you're following the news that uh the places even where it's hit really really hard is petering out idaho's down to like on over the weekend i mean it's like a t- maybe a total of 20 new cases confirmed you know i mean it, things are really really going down so it's good um i think uh i know at exo the the, the governor of idaho last week kind of basically allowed uh, relaxed the shutdown rules for non-essential businesses and then basically implied that by May 1st pretty much anyone can get back to work if they've got a good plan in place for kind of social distancing and I think that's just going to be the the new normal you know um, just mm-hmm. figure out ways to to live life where there's just a little less direct contact and that's an unfortunate I mean you mentioned that early on when we were talking about this is uh, society people already in general are moving in a direction where it's like less and less social interaction in person. And this is only going to make that worse. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. So, yeah, it's been, I can only feel anything but fortunate with how we've been able to change operations with XO, but at the same time, like just stay up to date and continue to ship and not have issues on that front, which has been amazing. Yeah, we've been extremely fortunate. Yeah. We did that podcast last week about EXO's origins. Um, that was the full episode last Wednesday. Got some really good feedback from that. We did get a question, uh, which is a good question. Kind of uh, a th- probably if you talk about an origins podcast, we should have mentioned this, but didn't. But basically, this guy wrote in and said, it's always good to take a moment to look where everything started, and I enjoyed that show. My one question that was not discussed is, where did the name come from? Uh, oh, so, yeah. Exo, Exo Mountain Gear. What does that mean? Where did that name come from? Um, it was, actually, it was, it was Cody Kellum. Um, we, I was on the phone with him one day um, talking about the frame design and how it was, we were trying to mimic the human body the structure right with our, our original frame was the the stays were actually very narrow inside of the pack and it, it really just modeled after your spine um and i think he he just said sounds like an exoskeleton and i was like exo i kind of like that and then and i quickly just googled exo and then uh, uh ex and then exo means to be outside and i was like holy crap that's perfect uh it was a perfect name for what we you know 
what we've always been about. It's um, it's about the adventure and about being outside and just enjoying the process, right? So the um, yeah, that's basically where the name came from. It was kind of modeled after our first frame and and then just meaning to be outside. It's just a perfect fit. Yeah. And that first frame was uh, skeleton frame, so it truly was the exoskeleton. <laughs> yep, absolutely, yeah. Cool. Um, we have some shelter questions and a few other gear questions, and then we'll kind of conclude with a, a non-gear topic slash question. But to dive into some things, one of the first questions that came up on this shelter topic, this guy wrote in, basically said he's using a, a six-pound two-person tent that, quote-unquote, truly sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so he's looking to make a change uh, and invest in a lighter tent, but uh, it, it sounds like something that, you know, he's not just seeking the lightest number, and he's kind of weighing these pros and cons of lightweight and durability and performance and all that. And so he threw out some different options uh, that we do have experience with and they are different options for sure so for context this guy's from south dakota he said he mainly hunts the black hills and the prairie units south of there and it can be quite windy he also has future hunts for elk and mule deer planned in wyoming so he lists um hilleberg is an option he was specifically looking at the acto which is a solo tent from them he said he likes that it's bomb proof but still half the weight of his current setup. He mentioned the tarp tent Ian Lee, which I know that you've had and used, Steve. He said he liked the weight and fabric of that one. Uh, it's very light, but he didn't know how it would hold up in higher winds. Um, he was also considering a tarp tent Moment DW, which was one of their popular options. Um, and then he mentioned the Nemo Hornet two-person, uh, which I've mentioned and used in the past, and he said he likes the price, but some of the reviews say it's not the greatest in bad weather. So... Hilleberg, Tarp Tents, uh, and Nemo. You essentially have Hilleberg as like a bulletproof option, not going to be as light as other options, built incredibly well, incredibly stable. You got Tarp Tent, which is um, a good lightweight option, uh, much more quite, quote unquote modern, if you will. And then the Nemo Hornet, which is light, but still like a traditional style tent, which we've talked somewhat about, you know, the the psychology even of having that traditional style tent. But for this guy, what are your first thoughts, Steve, on helping him make a decision? And honestly, just think through these things. There's no one right answer. But uh, for him, South Dakota, Black Hills and Prairie, also going elk and mule deer in Wyoming. Help him think through that. Um... Yeah, it sounds like he just needs a good three-season tent. All of these uh, are going to fit that bill very, very well. With Hilleberg, um, I would definitely steer him more to towards the Enon than the Atco. Uh, I've owned both. Uh, Enon, to me, is it's lighter and a slightly better design. It's easier to pitch. Um, so I definitely would look at the Enon. And that one's, oh, if I remember, it's like sub three, like two pounds, 12 ounces or something like that. Um, yeah, great tent. Hilberg, you know, they're not going to be matched from a price, performance, durability. I mean, they are just fantastic tents. Uh, the one knock on them is that they could be a little bit lighter, more so, right? If you're going to compare an Enon to the Nemo Hornet, uh, the Hornet's probably going to be half a pound to a pound lighter. So, um then, uh, so Hilbert, yeah, I guess 
like he's not all these are good choices not going to go wrong with any of them right um the t- jumping into tarp 10 the eon lee is what i'm currently have it's a killer ultra light uh it's um uh geez i'm just can't oh it's used the fabric is cuban fiber um amazing amazing lightweight fabric super super strong it's got some really um nice perks to it and then it's completely waterproof fabric um that but it cannot be constructed the same way that other tents are the 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 challenge with tent designers and that fabric has been uh, putting together the seams because you can't you can't just stitch it. It has to be a combination of stitch and a special tape um, to hold together toughly. Um, and so it's um, I think the ten year durability is kind of up in the air at this point. If that makes sense, like I mean they're they've started building them over the last five years probably. You know, and each year even some of the bigger tent companies are starting to to jump into this fabric. Because uh, early on it was kind of scary of like how the heck do you put these things together? Um, the like the fabric, its tensile strength and shear strength is is really amazing. Um, but it, it's uh, again just tricky to sew and put together. Mm. And then uh, I'm rambling here on this fabric because but it's really cool stuff. It's also completely waterproof. There's actually a layer inside that's kind of sandwiched in between the layers of the fabric. That's you could almost think of it as like crazy thin saran wrap, right? Like it's a truly waterproof membrane uh, where any other fabric, you know, your standard tent fabric is is the um, the, the yarns weave together and then it's coated uh, with either polyurethane or silicone on each side. Uh, and that coating apply is does the waterproofness, right? But the coating's not perfect. It, a lot depends on, on the yarn and then how much coating you apply to it. So, that's why you'll see waterproof ratings of say like 2000 millimeters or, or 4000 millimeters, the higher the number, the more waterproof it is. Um, there's also drawbacks, right? If, if it's completely waterproof, um, then the fabric can't breathe. So it may be, uh, more inclined to have condensation on the inside, but, um, so long rant there. Eon Lee killer tent. Uh, <laughs> I was actually taking it to New Zealand with me. Um, and that's, uh, you know, basically a, a, an Alaska type weather situation. I actually called Tarpton on the phone cause I, I had my experience with the tent. I've been in some strong winds, nothing like, uh, you know, nothing like our Alaska caribou winds. Right. But I've been in some good, you know, 20, 30 mile an hour gusty stuff and it performed beautifully. So I called him up and was like, Hey, I'm going to New Zealand. You know, it's entirely possible to have sustained 50, 60 mile an hour winds and, the guy I talked to on the phone said, no problem at all. Like it's, it's should be built to handle that and you shouldn't have any issues. So, uh, I was like, all right, I'll give her hell and see what happens. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to hold up as well as a Hilleberg would, um, in the long run, you know, yeah, like uh, any given trip, it should be fine. Um, but I would, you know, if I had to put money on it, I'd take a Hilleberg all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, but it's a 15 ounce trekking pole tent crazy light it's a little tricky you know the trekking pole tents get a little tricky to pitch it's it's very critical of um how you stake it out and how you tension the guy lines you really have to like follow the instructions um and the downside of the cuban fiber stuff is there is no stretch to it so it's not forgiving of uneven terrain uh you can't you know you can't like just really tension one guy line out and like pull pull tension through the fabric so it's not floppy right you got to pay a little bit more attention when you're pitching it that everything's like set up right 
Uh, so that's really the like one of the few downsides to it. Uh, tarp tent moment DW owned that tent, killer tent. Um, probably one of the most simple, like beautiful tent designs I had ever used. It's uses one center pole and then literally two stakes on each end. It's got these little, uh, carbon fiber struts that are kind of sewn into the fabric that form a V. And, uh, I loved that tent that there's two downsides to it. One, it was a little bit cold. Um, if I were to buy it again, uh, there's an option to get solid walls on the interior instead of mesh. I would absolutely do that. And then, um, it's the only, the big downside for me is we've always talked about the footprint size, uh, for a one man, it's got a really large footprint and that where that center pole is, is really wide. It's as wide as probably my Hilbert Anhan I used to own. That's a two man tent. So it was just frustrating pitching that sometimes in, in the mountains where, you know, you just couldn't find a big old flat spot to pitch it. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then Nemo, that's all you, I've got no experience with the Nemo. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's good. It's like I said, it's more for the guy who wants a traditional quote unquote tent, but still something that's lightweight in that two pound category. Um, I have seen heard of mixed reviews on performance and weather but i honestly haven't had any issues personally so i can only share my personal experience on that um again it's not a tent that is gonna rival performance in extreme conditions like a hilleberg would for example um but i would say for a lot of what it seems like our audience is doing mostly you know, like say it's a September elk hunt and even quote unquote bad weather in that I wouldn't have concerns with. Um, but if you're, for me, this, this question always comes back to, and this is obviously, you know, even influenced and changed in me based even on like last fall and our experiences in Alaska and knowing that I want to do more hunts in Alaska, knowing that I want to do more later season hunts, like I'm more and more drawn to having a bomb-proof shelter option like a Hilleberg, and then ideally, um, you know, maybe a super light, truly fair weather tent, um, or as we've talked about, like tarp and bivy. So to me, I would honestly want both, but obviously that's an investment. Not everybody can do that. So I would really look at what is your use case truly, and what can you get away with for that use case. If you're not going to Alaska, if you're not doing late season hunts, if you don't need that bomb proof durability, then that's okay. You can get away with something less. But if you're making an investment for years to come, if you know that you're going to continue to um, get into different seasons, different conditions, have different weather demands, then I think the investments um, can be totally worthwhile to get into, you know, a more Hilleberg style tent and be worth the weight and price at that point. So it's really you making that decision. Um, as you said in the beginning of this, Steve, I think for this guy, what he mentioned, what he's doing specifically um, for what he mentioned up front, like any of these could certainly work. It's just a question of, do you want this, like, I would say the Hilleberg's going to be an investment that's just going to last for years and years and years and pretty much forever no matter what you want to do do you want to go with the tarp tents being more modern trekking pole supported the lightest option or do you just want to go with saving some money something that's going to perform well enough for what you're doing now in the nemo um, and then potentially 
you know, theoretically have to revisit that if you're doing different demands in the future. So the, again, there's no one right answer there, but hopefully that's a, a helpful way to kind of look at it and think about it. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great summary. It's funny, I've been kind of almost in the same, uh, I want to do some backpacking with my kids uh, this year and I don't, I need like a three man tent. And I was literally looking at like, like Marmot had a tent called like the limelight that looked, you know, it's more, it's like a $200 tent on sale right now. Mm-hmm. Or do I just go with a Hilleberg and have the Hilleberg for, um, you know, Alaska trips and stuff like that. If we do it to do another caribou hunt or something like that. Um, it's like, yeah, which, which way do you go? Yeah. Yeah. And that, I've, I've honestly been looking at that. I was looking at, um, you know, one of the models I'd consider if he's looking at Hilleberg, he mentioned the Acto and you mentioned an alternative. I'd look at the Nyack as well. Um, mm. It's basically the same weight, but it's going to be more space for that same weight. It, it's basically a one-man polis, or you can use it as a two-man um, tent. It does only have one vestibule, though, um, so just consider that for two-man use. Um, it's yellow label, um, whereas the Acto is red label, which if you're familiar with Hilleberg, there's, they, they categorize their... Um, their build uh, according to that based on four season versus like, you know, I still think the Nyack's like a three and a half season essentially. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's, I yeah. mean, Hilleberg's three seasons or anybody else's four seasons. Exactly. Like, yeah. They're, they're so, so overbuilt that, uh, yeah, I, I really don't even pay attention to that. Like they're, they're four seasons truly like, uh, Mount Everest type stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, no one's yeah. not, you know, that few people look, will experience. Yeah. So the Nyack is essentially the same weight as the Acto, but it's side entry, which I prefer. And it can be used as a two man. You're just going to have more space or one man plus gear. So for the same weight, I would go Nyack over Acto. But again, there's many great options there. Um, transitioning, we had a question specifically, someone who wrote in, they're going to do an Alaskan caribou hunt, flying out of Kotzebue which is what we had done. Uh, he's going September 9th, which is a similar season to what we did this past fall. He says he has a good tent that he uses for backpacking in the high country for mule deer in Idaho, where he sets up in Idaho. It's normally fairly windy through a pass, and the tent has worked great. But he says, I don't want to take any chances. I think that's probably a smart move. I did follow up and ask him what he was using. It wasn't a tent I'd heard of, but I looked at it and I personally probably wouldn't take it to Alaska. Like you could be okay if you have fair weather, obviously, but it'd be a risk. Um, But for Alaska specifically, Steve, yeah, I I just think it's worth the investment and the weight, um, you know, to go with something like a Hilleberg or... You know, the Cabela's has their what is it, Alaskan guide type mm-hmm. tent, something. Mm-hmm. Basically, I would look at something more dome style, pole supported. Um, yeah, it's just worth it, I think, for Alaska. Not to, I mean, truly, it's, we've talked about before, Steve, like you get in a bad situation in the backcountry of Idaho or Wyoming or Colorado, or whatever, you have it like an actual tent failure that might just mean hiking out at 3 a.m which is doable uh yeah. alaska you don't have that option so yes 100 percent think it's worth the um investment in a new tent for that i would probably just go hilleberg uh cabell's alaskan guide would be a second alternative maybe uh any other thoughts there steve yeah yeah you just uh, you hit it hit the nail on the head there like a, a tent in the lower 48 is not a survival shelter right like he said all hell breaks loose you freaking pack up and you hike out 
that's just not an option for you know nine times out of ten if you're flown in and dropped off in Alaska. Um, you're out there and your tent can be, you know, a critical life-saving piece of equipment. So don't mess with it. Get something that's, that's built for heavy high winds. And, um, you know, I, I said that I'm sure there's scenarios where, you know, you get a storm comes in and you have the, you could pack your tent up and, and move it to a more sheltered place. But still, I think there's just going to be times in Alaska when that you're not going to have that option. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, a good shelter is worth its weight. Yeah, cool. And the cost. Um, had an interesting question. This guy was uh, also from an Alaska experience, but this relates beyond that. This guy basically said, one thing I'm still trying to dial in is keeping my feet dry. He's used Vasque Breeze or Sewa boots and says comfort hasn't been an issue. But he mentioned specifically, he says in wet conditions, moisture wicks up the boot and then into the boot, even though he wears gaiters. Do you have any suggestions for that problem? And also, have you tried Gore-Tex socks? I thought this was an interesting point, what he mentioned about essentially moisture wicking up the boot. Um, so he's saying his boots are waterproof, but moisture's coming up. He said under his gaiters into, I presume, obviously the bottom of his pants, and then allowing essentially moisture to get into the top of the boot. That certainly can happen. Um, I've had that happen in wet conditions where my boots are waterproof, but you know the the bottom of your pants get wet, and then that moisture is essentially coming in the top of your boot. Uh, I have not had that problem though when wearing gaiters, um, so I don't know if this is gaiter fit or gaiter choice, and just not having good performance there um, that would allow that issue to happen. But anytime I've had waterproof boots and good fitting, good performing gaiters, I haven't had issues. I mean, thinking of what we were in, Steve in Alaska's truly like just spending a lot of time almost in standing water um and didn't even really have that issue then so any other thing to think through on that issue for him specifically um yeah not on the the wicking it, it's absolutely a something that happens right uh but never i've never had it happen to um where i'd say enough moisture got into the shoe that was like more so than just the sweat of my foot right um so yeah if, if you have gaiters fitted properly normally you take your gaiters off your boot is like dry underneath where the gator was so I, I guess i'd start there make sure your pant isn't like when you wear gaiters sometimes i'll actually roll up my bottom of my pants a little bit so that they're not sticking below the gator on the side of the on the side right um i guess it's entirely possible that the the if it's like a some type of fabric that's in the boot that it's you know like sucking the moisture up versus a leather or something it's not repelling the water if that makes sense you know mm -hmm. um i guess that's a possibility it just happened with both those pairs of boots he owns i, I don't know but um yeah as far as gore-tex socks I'd, i've never i don't have any experience with them never really tried them um you know yeah i've uh, I, I do have a pair of some waterproof socks that i uh i've used fishing before when i had some leaky waders and it was it was actually really nice um but to me, I don't know. The Gore-Tex sock concept just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because sweat, to me, sweat's more of the enemy than not. So yeah, be, you're trapping all that. Be, yeah, you just yeah. I can't imagine that Gore-Tex sock pushes uh, moisture out, you know, anywhere near what just a regular good merino wool sock does. Um, yeah, I've never never tried it. Yeah, same here. 
we um you know these tss episodes have been a ton of fun we got a good a lot of good feedback in them and we've had questions all over the map but there has been certainly a lot of gear questions um you know be it optics shelters weapons whatever there's been a lot of gear talk which is great i mean we both love that steve we're gear nuts and this time of year even if the whole covid thing weren't going on it's kind of that natural time of year to look at what's new right what are you going to try this season what are you going to upgrade what are you going to change so i love the gear stuff but at the same time you know it was brought up recently like what about non-gear topics like what else should guys be questioning on focusing on trying to improve beyond their gear list to actually make them more successful and so number one i would just love to hear your thoughts on the first things that come to mind on that um and then number two just for you guys the listeners think through that as well. Like what questions do you have? What do you want to chat through that's not gear related in these episodes? Um, just because I think getting back to that perspective can be can be helpful for sure. But what are your thoughts on that, Steve, in terms of maybe the things that are overlooked or the things that guys can be doing now, you know, to, to increase their chances of success uh, in the field that aren't gear related? Like we could yeah, take that anywhere, sure. but there's yeah, gotta be the take first it anywhere. few thoughts. I mean, all gear is at most ten percent of the success of a hunt. At most, it's probably like five percent. Uh, I mean, being you know uh, mentally tough. Uh, number one, having good uh, a hunting skill set. I guess the best way to term that. No, I mean, knowing how to hunt, knowing how to use the wind knowing where, how animals move, right? Just like, yeah, studying and researching that um, is probably number two. Um, you know, number three is going to be just physical fitness and then, you know, shooting, uh, you know, all that stuff, you know, is way, way, way more important than gear. Um, but gear is the easy, gear is the one you can sit on your computer or your phone at home and research and talk about and, uh, you know, mental toughness. There's like, I'm sure there's things you could do at home, but that's a just getting out there and, you know, do putting yourself through tough, the challenges to make yourself tougher, um, shooting, get out and practice shooting. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much you could do from home to practice on that stuff. Obviously, you know, um, scouting, digital scouting is obviously a, a big thing. Um, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, to me, it's like mental toughness, and I think we talk about that quite often, and in, in, in the podcast over the years, I mean, it's like the reason we do the death hike. Um, you know, it's the reason you put yourself through certain challenges because um, that—that's more than anything. You're you're being tough out there uh, and just keeping keeping a positive attitude. Uh, you know, on day three, four of a hunt, we're going back to town and getting a hamburger sounds delicious um and the hunting's really slow when it's hot you know those are the reasons people are successful or not because they can stick it out and and kind of uh, weather those quote-unquote tough times you know yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always just keep the uh even if i get down for one second you know it's so easy just to like refresh your brain like wait a minute i could be at work like i think year round about being up here in the mountains and here I am complaining because the hunting's a little slow, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's with your buddies or by yourself. So it's like, it's pretty quick for me to like, oh, wait a minute, this is something I love to love to do and enjoy. And, um, you know, just, uh, take yourself out of that moment and just clear your head a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, 
what you said there is exactly with, for whatever reason, when I read that question, the first thing that came to my mind was like practice just being present. I know that sounds like kind of maybe woo-woo type stuff, but really it's in the hunting situations and in the field, it's so easy to like, you know, to be analytical, to get caught up on stuff. It kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about, you know, trusting your instincts, right? We just talked about that on a recent TSS episode. Um, And so, you know, being present in that moment, both to enjoy it, but then also to like get in touch with your instincts, if you will, as a hunter um, is just super valuable. And we're just in a weird time of life right now where you can focus on the future and worry about the future. And, you know, obviously you have to plan and do those things, but staying present in now and that can be during a hard workout to build that mental toughness. That could be in times with family, whatever. Just, you know, be where you are. I think that can help us as hunters in, in a lot of ways that probably gets overlooked. But, yeah, you could take it all kinds of ways. It'd be fun to hear from you guys, listeners, um, you know, non-gear questions since that came up about what things do you wonder about, what things have you found helpful. So just give us a shout, podcast at xmountgear.com. We can chat through that on future episodes. Uh, yeah, that's good, man. Um, Steve, it's going to be a good week, good times. We'll be we'll be hunting before we know it, man. I know. Bears, I, I got to get out for bear this week. It's got to make it happen. So looking forward to it. I like it. Cool. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Again, reach us at any time, podcast at xmountgear.com. We'll talk to you soon.